2: This is the Cubs related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Wednesday, April 14th, after the Cubs and Brewers have wrapped up their three-game series in Milwaukee, and you are probably listening to this on an off day, which is Thursday, April 15th, and I think it's a much-needed breather, Brendan, because once again, we are here to recap a series loss. The Cubs drop two of three to the Brewers, and while it looked like we might have a bit of a spark plug on Tuesday night, Brendan, it was not to be, as Wednesday was yet another painful loss, and overall, the offense looks about the same, which is not good.
1: Alzolai still looked really impressive. I thought Jake looked competitive. I thought Alec Mills stepped up, so offense, it's killing us, but it's hard to, to to not look at the positives because there are a few on the pitching side of things. Yeah,
2: there are some positives, which, you know, as we go along in the season here, always important to dig into. Each player, you know, is their own situation and and thing to analyze unfortunately right now the positives are not really close to outweighing the negatives or or being enough to produce more wins but yeah their positives hey, all they're positive they're still same.
1: five and seven though Cory like like even with this anemic offense they're still five yeah. and seven so so i mean you can look at it and spin it a little bit differently like the pitching is making them hang in there
2: yeah absolutely i mean look like you know in terms of competitiveness in the division through this first set of twelve games, you know they're they're still in it. As I said last yeah. time, I think you know it's not like they're zero and twelve or at at some irredeemable place right now. But again, you know, kind yeah. of that looming cloud of just you know how long is this team working with to prove to the front office that uh, things are going to turn around and that they're going to start putting more in the win column. But but Brendan, before I I, I read these couple recaps uh it it was it it, Tuesday night's game was one of those where you really wanted that to be like a catalyst to something right Wilson Contreras getting up there hitting a go-ahead home run against a team that had plunked him I think it was seven or eight times in the last 12 meetings between the two teams He hits a massive home run, runs around the bases, just the energy off the charts, the vibes off the charts, shushing the Milwaukee crowd. His quotes after the game were incredible. I think every single one of us was ready to go to battle, run through a wall, whatever you want to do for Wilson Contreras after Tuesday night. And you know, that was one that, you know, they only ended up scoring three runs. So it's not like it was a, that kind of like blow the, the, the doors off the place, offensive performance that we've been waiting for, but it, it felt like that moment. And, it's not necessarily uh, a wasted moment just because they lose to the finale on Wednesday, but I think heading into this off day before this, this series with the Braves, it just would have been so nice to pick up two in a row, win the series with Milwaukee, kind of have that energy from Wilson carry us into this weekend, and it's, it's hard not to be disappointed that that's not how it played out. That home run from Wilson, I'm still not going to forget that. And there was a good quote by Jake today that
1: I just want to paraphrase. But he was essentially saying, like, this is this is going to happen during the season in terms of kind of the the malaise and some of the anemic offensive showings. It, it is it is going to happen. Now there's a different side of this where we do have to question how problematic this is in terms of this being reflective of who they are and if they have time to you know, make Jed in this front office change their mind about what they plan to do around the trade deadline. So I, I get that side of things, but I mean it doesn't really take away what Wilson did no. for me. Like that and and we've seen, I mean he's gotten beamed, I think what the number is now, like seven or eight times this year. Uh, it's 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 wild. So that's not going to be taken away from me whatsoever. That home run, running around the bases, shushing everyone, the bat flip, the celebration. I mean, everything. That's one of the all-time celebrations for me against this disgusting loser Milwaukee Brewers franchise. So I'm I'm not going to go into this Brave series down. Uh, and I mean, of course, I would have expected or hoped rather that the Cubs would show up on that last game, but. I didn't expect it. I don't expect these issues to go away overnight, sure. Corey. And so I'm going to take the wins and the losses and the good celebrations like Wilson's as they come and, and not expect any more as a result of like an energy shift, if that makes sense. This, this offense, these problems are beyond just like changing the momentum and
2: feeling good and having an energy shift just to set the table a little bit on monday the cubs lose six to three to the brewers the cubs got on the board early with a chris bryant home run chris continues to look good he did not play on wednesday uh, but he will leave uh, this series in milwaukee with a 936 ops which of course is the highest on the team and he looks good hitting home runs extra base hits he looks good so that is uh one of the positives we were talking about It was a disastrous sixth inning that does the Cubs in in this one. Adbert Alzali was really good in this game, and we're going to talk about that. But things fall apart in the sixth inning for him and then for Andrew Schaafen, a bad time for Andrew to kind of have that first bad outing of the year brewers put up six in the six the cubs have a little bit of a fake rally in the ninth inning getting a couple on the board on a javi Baez double but that would be all she wrote six three the final on tuesday of course it was the home run we were just talking about with wilson Contreras in the eighth inning off of brent Suter, someone the cubs have previously had trouble with so that was fun and that gives the Cubs a 3-2 to win. Alec Mills stepping up in this one. We'll talk about that a little bit. But Kyle Hendricks uh, scratched just about an hour before the game. Didn't feel well. Uh, all reports are that that's fine. But, you know, with everything going on in the world, they just want to be as precautious as possible. And Mills, on about an hour's notice that he was starting this game, uh, delivers four innings of two-hit, two-run ball, which kept the team in the game and allowed Wilson to win it. And the other note that I have in this one is that the win is picked up by the returning Pedro Strope. So that was a lot of fun. Hats to the left. It's the first time Pedro's been on the mound for the Chicago Cubs since September of 2019. He is one of the best relievers in Chicago Cubs history. You can see the graphic that Marquis put on the screen when he entered the game, if you don't believe me. Uh, but you're wrong, if you don't believe me. He is, and that's the way it is. So it was good to see him back on the mound and picking up a W for the Chicago Cubs. And then on Wednesday, the finale, it was a laugher in Milwaukee. It ends up being 7 to nothing for the Brewers, Jake Arietta with a, 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 you know, solid enough five innings for his. Three earned runs, one walk, and five strikeouts. So his uh he's two for three now in terms of quality starts, as the first two were quality starts. But this was still a solid start. Team should have been in the game, which is what you're looking for from him, but we will talk about that in a little bit. Cubs offense only musters four hits and strikes out twelve times. So that is the story from Milwaukee. So Brendan, I, I think the let's let's do Let's touch on some of the positives. I want to talk about the starting pitching a little bit, and then we can get into the offense. This is basically a theme. I, I, I wish that the episodes were able to take a different template, but it, it's about the offense. That's what it's about. So, But I, I want to start with what you saw from these pitchers. Not a lot to look at with Mills. I just wanted to talk about that was a big effort from him stepping up uh, on short notice kept the team in the game gave them four innings and like I said allowed them to win a game three to two which is not easy when you've been in the bullpen and you know your role is kind of switching around but what did you see from Alzali in particular on Monday and Jake on Wednesday I I think Alzali really the the highlight I think perhaps from the pitching perspective Mm -hmm. because although it does fall apart in that sixth inning he was really good Through five innings. And we talked about his first start and how he would come back stronger, he would build on it, and this was a process. And I think Monday was definitely that kind of start for him.
1: Alzalai looked incredible on on that Monday start. And his pitch breakdown is pretty remarkable. And it's it's a common theme with Alzalai we always bring up. But his two pitches that he threw the most on Monday were sliders and sinkers. He threw 32 sliders, 29 sinkers, and then the remaining seven pitches were four seamers and one changeup. This is someone who did not have a slider or sinker like not even eight months ago. Okay, He developed a slider and sinker in September of last year, and now he's throwing those two pitches most of the time. He didn't even throw one curveball according to Brooks baseball on Monday. Not one curveball. He came up through the system as being a curveball heavy guy as his main secondary pitch. So he's adapted remarkably well. And if we look at how his slider performed on Monday, this is one stat that I absolutely love seeing. Again, 32 sliders thrown. He induced 18 swings. Of those 18 swings, he induced 10 whips. That type of whiff rate. Let's just say that averages out during the rest of the year. That would be a whiff rate almost threefold higher that you typically see from an average pitcher in the league. So his slider's working well. And to go off that in the sixth inning, I liked Ross throwing him back out there. He only had around the time 60-ish or so pitches, so he's pretty efficient going into the sixth inning. And what I also liked about Ross, and it didn't it didn't work out, but I still like the process. I did too. Is yeah. he Yeah, he gave Adber the chance, but he knew, and he had the foresight, Ross did, of having Schaefer come in. And again, I know it did not work out. I know he got absolutely throttled in that inning, but to have Schaefer come in with the intent to put out the fire early in the game, I I like that process a lot. So overall, you know, within the last week, I know the wins have not come, but just looking at how the bullpen's being managed, for the most part, there's always going to be some you know issues we have minor issues but for the most part i thought ross has looked pretty good with making these decisions from the bullpen and i like how he's managed his starters and i really like seeing these guys take the next step and to our earlier point if not for the starting staff who knows what this team's record would be man like five and seven we're lucky to be five and seven we're lucky to be in almost every single one of these games because guys like arietta and Al and Trevor Williams-Sands that last start. They've kept the team in the game, and even Alec Mills-Corey coming off short rest, literally getting the nod one hour before he stepped on the mound gave the team a competitive effort. And that's all you can ask for. And from Tommy Haddivy's staff and Craig Breslow's development infrastructure, this is why we stressed so much for the past three years that we wanted to see this grow. And now the offense will have to adapt and develop and, and adjust because they won't go anywhere without that. But for the time being... The pitching is holding them together. And for so many years it seemed as if the offense was always the glue, the young offense, the young core. And that's not the case right now.
2: Right. And I you know, I think like part of this pitching staff too is I think on the whole, like there's gonna be some games that get away from them, right? Like they give up seven runs as a staff today on Wednesday in the finale, but on the whole this was a staff, right? You traded away a guy who almost won the Cy Young and who throws hard, has a very heavy mix of pitches in you, Darvish, and you went with a much slower contact-based, a different approach, right? So you were never asking this staff to pace this team or to, you know, be a part of a team that's winning every game one to nothing. You're just asking them to keep you in the game generally, right? Like Kyle Hendricks, you're asking more of. But in general, you're basically just looking for this staff to keep you in games, right? Give you innings and keep you in games. And for the most part, they've done that. And that was kind of what, uh, you know, each each pitcher, I think, did a good job of that in this series. Like you said, I think the process was good in that sixth inning on Monday. I had no problem going to Chafin. He's been one of their best relievers, right? He's He's been the second-best reliever on this team, save for Craig Kimbrell, who's been lights out, right? And I thought the process was good. It just didn't work out, right? Um, And part of the thing on Monday, and it it sort of brings the offense into this, this is tough to quantify. And, and you you know, I I don't think AdBear is ever going to admit to this or anything like that. But it's hard pitching when your offense can't score, Right once Adbert gets into trouble in that sixth inning on Monday, once the first guy reaches, right, you have to think that he's probably pressing a little bit or or pitching. I don't want to say pitching scared, but these guys know the offense isn't picking them up right now, right? And so it's not easy for Alzelay, or Schaafen, or David Ross and Tommy Hadovy in those situations because everything is impacted by the fact that everybody kind of knows the offense is struggling, right? So it, it's not to excuse that inning ending up in a sixth spot, a crooked number for the Brewers, et cetera, but it does change it changes everything. It changes how Azalei might be thinking and pitching out there. It changes what Ross is doing, and it might change what Chafin is doing. It, it, it's a different game when you are clinging to a one-run lead, and you're kind of thinking that that might be all you get. You have to win this game yeah. one to nothing. It's
1: not easy. You have less margin of error, right? right? Like yeah, when you're course. trying to nibble around the, the zones, like that might inform pitch sequencing and the calls and all that stuff. Right.
2: Yeah, it's and again that that it's hard to quantify that or, or detail exactly what is happening, but you can just kind of put yourself in the perspective of any of these guys and think, yeah, it's it's different if if I'm pitching with a one zero lead and I'm confident, like you know we've got several innings here, we're going to get more than one run. Versus being confident, like, no, I either, you know, I either shut this down one to nothing or I'm probably not getting the win here. It changes things. So I, I thought this was a good series for this staff. It wasn't great. It wasn't anything uh, that jumps off the page or is going to have them in the conversation for the best starting staff in the league. But Mills stepped up in a tough spot, kept them in the game. Jake Arrieta gave them five innings, only let up three runs, kept them in the game. Right, Al-Zalai, really good five innings. That sixth inning was a mess. And it, you know, wasn't just on him, right? Those were inherited runs. So it is what it is. But I think this staff, at least at this point, is doing all they can. And for Alzelay specifically, I, I, you know, again, He's young. He's he's at an interesting point in his career, right? He was uh, sent to the satellite squad today. That's not for his performance. That's just to get innings up with what's going on with Hendricks and to, you know, utilize the roster. It's got nothing to do. Adbro will be back, right? This isn't some weird thing from the front office. It makes sense. Um, but I, I thought this was a building block start for him, which is important. Like this is, that's what this year is for him, you know? it's, it's He's not supposed to be going out there and like, hitting his absolute ceiling right now. These things take time, and I thought this was a productive start for him. So overall, I think this was fine from this starting staff, and, you know, ultimately it all comes back to this offense, Brent. Let's just talk about this. Let's do this. Um, let's talk about the offense, Brent. And, and I think it's it's worthwhile, again, to reiterate what you said, that, you know, right now this team is 5-7. and seven. And it's a tough portion of the schedule. It's not going to get any easier in terms of the offenses that this pitching staff is facing or the pitching staffs that the Cubs offense is facing. So they're, they're, they're going to have to right the ship and soon uh, if they want that record to get better. But it is worth keeping in mind that, you know, right now the Brewers are 7-5, and five, the Cubs are 5-7. and seven. This is not some insurmountable lead that somebody has in this division uh, or some, you know, insurmountable spot that the Cubs have found themselves in. They're they're really bad on offense right now, but in terms of competitiveness in this division, they're just fine, right? It's 12 games into the season, and they're right there. So however you want to take all that is is up to you, right? You, you can be optimistic or pessimistic. That's up to you, but that is the reality for now, right? Of course, with the looming, you know, energy of Jed Hoyer and his cell phone, uh, as it relates to making trades, hanging over all of this. But where I want to start, and, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Brendan, you can kind of take, we can look at one player, if you have any thoughts on it as a whole. The, the something we've talked about that is still happening is the team is not making enough contact and they're definitely not making enough contact on pitches in the zone there's a lot of meatballs going by this team that are not being swung at or are not being barreled or you know taken for extra bases The, the slugging isn't there right this is a team that is relying on walks and slugging and the slugging isn't there So that's not good. That's, you know, that's an obvious place to start. But after the game on Wednesday, the Cubs are hitting 163 for their team batting average with 122 strikeouts and a 561 OPS through these 12 games. And if you look at batting average and OPS, the second-to-last team in the majors is actually the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Cubs are not close to their numbers in those particular categories. Uh, So David Ross says, quote, we can't live and die by the home run, which is what they're doing, and they're not hitting enough home runs. So it, 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 it didn't get any better in this series, Brendan. Now, the the Cubs face some tough pitchers in, in this series with Peralta and Woodruff and Burns, and that can be true, but it, like I said, it's also not necessarily going to get a lot easier as they go forward here with some of these teams that they're playing. So, I, I, I think... I guess I would ask you, has anything changed in these three games from your perspective of what we're looking at? I know you said earlier that these things aren't going to change overnight, but we've got three more games to look at, to discuss. Has anything from your perspective changed, or is it still kind of just knowing that they're not going to be this bad? Because they will not be the second worst or worst offense in the league. They just won't. Uh, But what did you see anything different in this series or are we basically just waiting for the same things to change whenever they might change
1: it's it's puzzling because i do feel like in some respect it is a team-wide issue of what we're seeing on the other hand i do feel as if a lot of the problems are individualized but generally speaking a lot of the same guys are going through the same problems so it's hard to Kind of dissect it out and try to figure out what the issues are, for example, when we look at Ian Happ and Jason Hayward, both those two guys are not swinging at bad pitches and they're actually going deep into counts both but both similarly are just missing their pitches. both of them have expected weighted on base averages that are below league average. So in that sense, I do see some similarities from like a team wide type approach. And you can even say the same thing about Wilson and, and Tony; they're missing their pitches. Really, the only guy on this team that is not missing mistake pitches is KB. Everyone else is missing their pitches. So it is puzzling, to some degree, it is team wide. But then you look at Javi, for example, and we'll get into the more specifics in this in this episode. But but Javi is is on a completely different level of of. Mystery. I, 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 truthfully don't know what is going on with Javi, and I was trying to think about this for hours this week. I can't figure out what went wrong. So in twenty, in twenty eighteen, when he had his MVP season, I'm pointing this out because that was the year that Chili Davis made. Javi more upright. He opened his stance a little bit, and he actually got rid of Javi's B-hack that we saw with two strikes. And I liked that at the time because what happened, it coincided with Javi's best year of his career. But I'm remembering instances in 2016 and 2017, especially in that playoff run in 2016, when Javi closed up his stance did not stride whatsoever with two strikes and counterintuitively for many people he had a lot of good at bats and had a lot of base hits and two strike counts and even joe madden talked about that in 2016 and 2017 javi was i mean he's not going to be an amazing two strike hitter and maybe not even average but he'll be he was competent at the time for the last two years three years now including 2021 it's been anything but that And Fangraphs did an absolutely, I mean, it was a good piece, disgusting in terms of how it makes me feel. But they dissected Javi's 2020 season. They're dissecting his recent 2021 start, and even to some degree what he looked like in the tail half of 2019. But what they pointed out last year, and I get it, it's COVID. It is an extreme regardless of how you look at it. But what we saw last year in 2020 with Javi... Was historically one of the worst offensive seasons ever. And again, I, I know it was COVID. I know Javi relied on the in game adjustments. And to what degree that affects his performance, we don't know. You have to trust him that it did. Regardless, if you look at his K rate and his walk rate, it was combined one of the worst stretches ever. Only three other players have had similarly poor walk rate and strikeout combinations. It's not good, Corey. It's not good when you look at his zone contact rate, which right now is 57%, dude. When he was going off as an MVP candidate, and even in 2017 and 2016, that zone contact was around 80%. So Javi's swinging like crazy outside the zone. He's missing crazy outside the zone. Fagras posted some videos in Pittsburgh of him like flailing at pitches that are touching the other opposing batter's box. And then you combine that with the fact that he's not even hitting fastballs. Like he has no hard hit uh uh pitches against fastball this year. Not one. So I I it's it's discouraging in a contract year you feel for Javi. From a fan's point of view, I don't see how you can engage in contract negotiations with Javier right now, given that the sample size of this puzzling performance is now extending near 200 plate appearances. And these types of plate discipline numbers, I know I'm going off here on a tangent here, but I know a lot of these plate discipline numbers, they stabilize fast. You know, swing rate, strikeout rate, you only need around 50 plate appearances or so to to actually say, hey, most of what we're seeing is probably due to the to the hitter himself, and not mostly due to randomness, even though you can't exclude all the randomness. So that's all to say, I don't know if we can expect Javi to return to 2018 form. I don't know if we can expect him to get to 2017 and 2016, and I say that because his methods in 2016 and 2017 were different than his methods now. He implemented a B hack for two years in 2016 and 2017, got rid of it in 2018, still had success, but maybe the league adapted since then and to a point where Javi has to now go back and try to find what worked well in years even before 2018. Will he do it? I, I, I have confidence that they're going to try a lot of different things. Am I confident it's going to work? I, honestly, I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not confident. And they tried so many different things in the years past with Schwarber. He had great stretches at the time. He changed like every two to three months mechanically. Didn't work for Schwarber. And maybe we're going to get to the point where it just doesn't work for Javi. And I, I hate saying that.
2: Yeah. So Javi is a very interesting case. And while we're talking about this, I, I, I do want to offer up that, you know, I, I think anytime you start talking about any of these top players, I think in particular, there there is sometimes a sentiment of, you know, why do you focus on Javi when the whole team has been really bad? And the answer to that is because he's Javi, right? This team is built around a few of these guys. The idea is built around them being better, than everybody else right and in a contract year where you know I think we entered the year where a lot of people would ha- you know have freaked out had you told them we entered the season without extending any of them to some people especially Javi Baez right and so the reason that we focus on Javi is because as we've said before like this he, he he's supposed to be the star on this team right or one of the stars on this team and you need him to be doing that it's the same reason in 2020 that we spent almost every episode and every article you guys probably read in the newspaper or online was about Javi Baez and Chris Bryant right and you know not nothing against someone like David Bodie I have a lot against Eric Sogard but like those two guys (laughs) those two guys not performing well isn't what sinks or swims the Chicago Cubs that's why we don't spend 20 minutes talking about David Bodie and his contact rate or whatever, right? Because this team runs through Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras. It doesn't run through David Bodie, right? So that's why we're talking about Javi, right? And and this is kind of one of those things where, you know, this is the reality of the situation and and he's going to have to deal with this, uh, you know, if his if his numbers improve or if they don't improve. When you enter the free agent market and you're looking around at what Francisco Lindora got and you're looking around at what Fernando Tatis Jr. got, if you want to be in that conversation, right, along with it comes the criticism. And I I think y'all know that Brendan and I both love Javi Baez. We love basically everybody on this team, Um, but we have to be honest about these conversations. You know, so that's that's. I, I just wanted to answer that because I, I do see that. I saw Brett from Bleacher Nation getting yelled at. Like, why are you picking on Javi? It's like because he's Javi, you know. Like that's why. You know, this offense needs him to be a star. We all want him to be a star, so we're trying to figure out why that's not happening. And I think you know, it's it, it's to me right now. You know, I think you highlighted it pretty well with some of those numbers, Brendan. And I think like the key right now is that. Javi's always had some some bad tendencies, right? We know he swings at balls in the dirt, right? You know, and that's been like one of those things that almost bothers you from opposing fans. Like, oh, just throw Javi a slider in the dirt. It's like, yeah, we know, right? He chases a lot, but... Throughout his career, he's been able to mitigate that by making, as you pointed out, Brendan more contact on pitches in the zone, and when he gets those mistakes and doing damage with them, and that's not happening. So this is kind of like a confluence of all like the previous bad factors, although they're they're worse now than they were with this added element of not doing damage on those pitches in the zone that he's swinging at. And if, you know, you're watching these games, I mean, he struck out six times in this series. And I feel like if you're watching these games and you don't say to yourself like, ah, that was the pitch, Javi, like that was there. And you're certainly not just saying it about him, but it, it happens on a daily basis where you just sort of feel like in another year, he would have hit that pitch to the moon. And you look at some of these numbers and they're just not sustainable, right? Like it is, he has to make adjustments or this isn't going to work because a, you know, where he's sitting right now at a 2.1% walk rate, which would be a career low. He's never been a guy that walks a lot, but that's still a career low. Uh, His career rate is 4.7%. And right now he's got a 44.7K rate. Brendan. Like, that, that's just not going to play, right? Like, his career rate is 29%-ish. In 2020, it was 31%, right? 2018, yeah. when he nearly won the MVP, it was 26%. It's 45% right now. Strikeout, 45% of the time, he's striking out. Like, that is just not a tenable profile for Someone who is also now not making as much contact on pitches in the zone, so he's been able to hit some home runs. He had a double on Monday night to drive in some runs. So that's what's kind of lifting these numbers from being you know just even worse. But he's also not mixing in as much of that contact that we've seen before that allows him to reach base, you know, on balls hit in the infield or turning. Singles into doubles and kind of stretching those numbers a little bit because he's just not making contact as much and he's not doing damage on those pitches in the zone. So I, I don't know, man. I I mean, he has to make an adjustment because these numbers are just not gonna they're they're just not gonna work. And and you look at where he's rating in uh some of these numbers. Like that K rate is the second worst in all of baseball. The contact rate is the worst in all of baseball. His contact rate in the zone is the worst in all of baseball. Like it, you know. Again, like I love Javi Baez, right? I don't think that's ever been something that you would disagree with if you listen to this podcast, right? And I know you do too, Brendan, but he, he, like a lot of these numbers are the worst in baseball. There, there's no positive way for me to spin that. And I don't feel Mm -hmm. like it's coming at Javi to point that out. Like having the worst K rate and contact rate and zone contact, like that that's not good. There's no way for me to positively spin that. Um, He he looks good on the defensive side. He saved a run on a a diving play up the middle that in a one-run game, right, when Wilson hit the home run, you could argue that that was a game-saving play by Javi Baez. The defense is still there. He's still going to be El Mago at times, but it has to start coming at the plate, and I I don't know what the answer is, um, but he has got to find a way to cut down on the pitches that he is chasing out of the zone and I think as you've mentioned before find a way to shorten that swing at times and take a more contact-oriented approach as opposed to you know taking that kind of heavy long home run style swing on every pitch that he's facing because I don't know any other way to say it Brendan like this is just not a tenable profile that he is putting up right now.
1: You know I don't know and it's it's not for me saying hey you need to go back to a B hack with two strikes I honestly do not know if that's going to do anything but I'm trying to parse out what he did differently earlier in his career and contrasting that with what we're seeing now and that was one thing that that stood out but separately from just chasing those bad pitches which he is he's just missing those fastballs and some of those numbers that represent how he hits fastballs are atrocious this year he is costing the cubs 5 runs against fastballs and that's basically saying like he's putting up 5 fewer runs compared to an average hitter against fastballs if we look at what he did in 2018 and 2017 he put up one better run than your average hitter against fastballs that is a five-run swing, Corey. So he's just not hitting fastballs, and if that's because he's up there, you know, guessing or getting fooled, or in the scouting reports have him perfectly sequenced, no, no idea. But separately from like these issues that he's experiencing now in the immediate 2020 season, this this gives me pause, man. Like, if you want a five-plus year contract. Which I'm not saying, hey, don't give it to Javi. I honestly don't know. But if you, if, if that's what the asking price is, people with Javi's portfolio in terms of walk rate, chase rate, contact rate, even plus plus power, they, they don't age well at, at all. And if Javi's going to lose even one tick of that fast twitch athleticism, which might happen, I mean, people naturally age you do wonder what that will look like. And you do wonder if that's worth shelling out 20-ish million per year. I don't know the answer to that. It's not my decision to make. But it does give not only me, I know other fans some some pause as well. And just as like a comparison, one guy who did have similar play discipline numbers as Javi was, was Pablo Sandoval. I'm not comparing the two, but it's just to give you an idea of what someone with a similar profile in terms of chase rate and contact rate and power, what what they tend to age like. And I think it does give me a little bit of a of of a pause when we talk about his, his long term future. That that being said though, Corey, when Javi was first called up in 2014, he whiffed at an historically low rate. So he I mean it's almost funny you know not funny but it's 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 funny when we talk about 2014 to now because he's doing something similar seven years later but javi did adjust he was able to get beyond that and implement successful changes to his approach so that means he is capable of doing that because he's shown it before now do we want to rely on that no But I think you do have to recognize the possibility is there for Javi to adjust again because he's done so a few times now.
2: I'm not a hitting coach, you guys, um, but I think we're all watching the same thing. Uh, You know, and and look, I think this applies to the offense as a whole. Each guy is a different case, right? You can look at some of these guys' numbers and wonder if they're getting unlucky. You can wonder if some of these guys... You know, just need some simple tweaks uh, in their approach or how aggressive they're being, and you know that can kind of fix things. Some guys, you know, you need a couple bloopers to fall in or a couple bleeders to find a hole, whatever it is. Um, but it it has to get better. And I, I know that's not like expert analysis, but this team, as you said, Brendan, is probably lucky to be at the five and seven area right now, and they are still in all of this it's been 12 games right like we're still we've got 140 something games uh we 150 right my math is terrible on the fly we got 150 games left like that's that's a ton of baseball so you don't want to be like losing your head over 12 games it's been a frustrating 12 games from this offense I get it um but at the same time, there there are differences between each of these guys. It's not as simple as just saying, like, ah, it'll get better. It, it's not going to stay this bad. And I—all offseason, right? Like, you and I, Brendan, like, I I did not buy into 2020 for a lot of these guys, and I said repeatedly, I think, the phrase that Javi Baez is a better hitter than this. But it it, it seems to be a question of some of these habits that that he has— had or developed or allowed to kind of creep back in whatever it is and he he has to figure out a way to adjust because the rates he's putting up in some of these categories it's just not going to work like he'd have to be hitting a home run in every at bat where he's making contact right to you know make up for a 45% k rate and never taking a walk and it it it's just he's just, it it's sort of a a bigger a smaller version of, of the bigger issue on the team which is, is that the slugging is not there to go along with these other numbers and that is what this team is built on that that's how they're supposed to succeed right you're you're you're, you're okay taking the strikeouts you know they're going to walk you're okay taking the strikeouts and maybe not being a contact heavy team right we know that about this group but that means you have to slug and they're just not doing it as a team you know um Chris Bryant's overall numbers look pretty good. Um, Wilson Contreras's, you know, overall WRC plus and you know his production level looks good, but a lot of the underlying stuff for the entire lineup just isn't there, and and they're going to have to make these adjustments. So, I, I wanted to ask you, Brendan, like anybody else. H- Javi, we've I, identified some of the particularly concerning things, and you know w- the way that, at least for now, you'd kind of envision him. Tweaking those things and improving those things to kind of settle things down a little bit. Is there is there anybody else in the lineup that is particularly concerning to you? Because I think when you look at some of these guys' underlying numbers, there's a few guys in here where, I, I, again, not to write everything off as being unlucky, but you can look at what they're doing from an overall level right? And I, I'm talking everything, walks, strikeouts, the type of contact they're making, um, you know, the, the amount of contact they're making, everything. And you can look at it and go, I, I think this, is, this guy's fine. He, it, it's just, It's a slow start, maybe getting a little unlucky. Things will come around for this guy. But is there anybody where when you're digging into this stuff, you're having that kind of opposite reaction and going, this is not good. And I do not like what I'm seeing under the hood here.
1: Well, I look at Hayward, I look at Contreras, I look at Hap, and I think the, the underlying peripherals are not like discouraging. They're not jumping out at me as something to be concerned about. You look at their run value numbers, and across the board for these guys, they're and it's the same story for other players on this team, they're, they're missing their fastballs. So they're producing below-league-average runs against fastballs. And specifically for Tony, he saw a fastball in thirty-seven percent of pitches last year. Right now, it's forty-one percent. So forty-one percent versus thirty-seven percent doesn't seem that much, but when you when you consider how many pitches these guys see, that is a significant difference. I'm not concerned about Tony. I'm not concerned even about Hap per se. I, I love Hap's approach. Now, I do wonder over time. If that contact rate of 65% will become problematic, because that is well below league average. That's in the bottom 10% of baseball. And that's actually what we saw last year in 2020. Even when he was doing well, he still had a subpar contact rate. So part of me wonders if that's going to be a problem going forth in the future. And with the power, it, it might very well not be a problem, but is something to, to consider. For Hayward, the average exit ELO is better than about 80% of the league. I think he he's looking fine. I think his plate approach looks fine. You know, he's had some really hard hit balls to the pole side. That is a problem right now for Jay Hay, 73% of his batted balls to the pole side. You want that to be around 40 to 45%. That's what we typically see for an average player. And that's what we typically see for Jay Hay in years past. Well, and he's one Uh, of
2: those guys too, in in the past years, when we've been kind of watching his progress, it was very clear that things were trending the right way for him when mm -hmm. he was taking those line drives to the opposite field, you know, in front of the left fielder, obviously, you know, for home runs.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you, you nailed it right there. You want to see him have that trademark line drive to that left center gap that we've seen in, in the past right. uh, about two years now. So I, I think it will come. I'm, I'm truthfully not concerned about Jay hey, Hay. I'm not really concerned about Tony Hap. I'm just kind of curious about, even though overall I think the sum looks fine. And that's the story of, of this team, just missing their fastballs. One, one last guy before we move on here that I do want to highlight in a not good way. Yeah, I know who this uh, is. I, yeah, I think you do. And again, it is early, and things can change. So this is not a final opinion. But Jock Peterson looks like absolute trash core. Yeah. And I, I he had a great spring. I do like his attitude. It seems like he fits in well at the clubhouse. Tony's talked about him in very encouraging ways. I I, I think jock is a good fit for this team from that point of view, but what we've seen at the dish and even defensively, I'm like, ugh, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this. And, Diasani makes sense. Seven million. He's destroyed right-handed pitchers over the years. He's destroyed velocity over the years. His contact rate has gone up over the years. We're seeing the complete opposite right now. So he's making almost seventy percent contact. Can't happen. Can't happen when you're not hitting the ball that far. And can't happen when you're playing, presumably because you smash right-handed pitching, and he's not doing that. So I don't like what I've seen from Jock, and even defensively in the short term here it matches my eye test i don't want to get too deep into the defensive numbers especially in like a 12 game sample but he has quite literally statistically speaking the worst jump in left field of any outfielder in the league right now and again that matches what i'm seeing maybe he's getting used to these new ballparks maybe he's getting used to being at wrigley and playing in pittsburgh and milwaukee like i honestly don't know but from Everything from defensively, from offensively, I I want Jock to succeed. This team needs him to succeed. I'm not writing them off, but every single thing the man is doing has been below his career rate, below his norm, uh, extremely discouraging, and I think if we're looking at anyone besides Javi on this team right now, we're questioning, hey, is, is is this okay? I think Jock is at number two.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it, it. It you you can dig into each of these guys individually, but especially because it's it's twelve games, and also the added factor that the Cubs have only faced two teams, and actually I believe have only faced eight unique pitchers in these twelve games. Obviously, we've seen a few of these guys uh, more than once. It's it's a little harder to dig into a ton of these numbers. I don't want to say reliably, but obviously that affects things, right? You're you're dealing with basically how two teams have decided to attack this this team, and how eight pitchers have decided to attack this team. But in general, like when when you were talking about guys like Hap and Rizzo and Contreras, like a lot of their underlying numbers look pretty normal or or pretty good you know as you said with someone like hap you do wonder if not making as much contact you know how does that affect his overall value and stuff like that but just in terms of you know his slow start right like his walk rate is really good his k rate is normal his BABIP mm-hmm. has been low uh you know and he's not chasing as much you've you I mean he looks good yeah, at the Yeah you've dish. you've spoken before about how good his approach looks and again yeah. there's a question to be asked if if some of the the cubs who have the, a, a more passive like I'm not going to chase I'm going to take my walks and you know trading that for making more contact if that is the right way to go which is what I think you were you know getting at with Hap's lower Mm -hmm. contact rate but in terms of like like kind of why we we were digging into Javi and now why we're digging into Jock is because for a lot of these guys like most of their numbers look pretty normal there's not some like when you look at Rizzo, right? Who's notoriously a slow starter? It's it's not as though he has like triple the strikeout rate or something like that, right? Or all of a sudden he's hitting seventy percent ground balls or you know something like that, right? That that jumps there's out no, at no you extreme. and goes, yeah. yeah, extreme. Like, hey, something is wrong here, right? with Javi and with Jock though some of these underlying numbers do not look good and are not really in line with their career norms and again that doesn't mean that for these other guys you can just say ah well it's bad luck or whatever but you know with someone like Rizzo too there's uh you know part of it is you see him hit balls well but they happen to go in the shift and things like that and you know not to get into a whole thing about the shift I'm just trying to illustrate that for a lot of these guys, even though the numbers are bad as a whole, that feels more like guys are just not clicking and it's happening at the same time, whereas a couple of these guys, you're starting to look at these underlying numbers and go, okay, like, this is concerning. This is extreme, like you said, Brendan. Um, But yeah, it's, it's... it's one of those—I feel like we've seen this before where a guy dominates spring training, puts up, you know, just big-time numbers. Uh, you know, Jock hit what? I think it was eight home runs in the spring, and then it just doesn't translate once we get to the regular season. And, it, it you know, it sort of feels like an alternative universe, Um but it hasn't been a good start for him. And, you know, I know that that's got to be frustrating for him. You know, obviously this is not the start he wanted with a new team in a contract year, trying to, as we talked about a lot with him, bet on himself. Uh, but, you know, it just frankly has not been a good start for him and I think the things that you know really jump out to you at least for me you know looking at some of the baseball savant stat cast data barrel rate is way down you know so the number of you know the percentage of times where he's getting the ball on the barrel is way down his average exit velocity is down Uh, his k rate is up it's at about 35 percent right now it's normally his career norm is about 24 percent um, his BABIP is low, right? But he's not making good contact. So it's one of those where, yes, the BABIP is low, but right now he's not, you know, he's not scorching outs into gloves, right? You look at some of the guys, you know, Hayward, I think maybe at times through this season and in other seasons is a, a better example of this, where the, he's hitting the ball hard, but sometimes he's just not getting the ball where a defender isn't it's not really happening with jock right now um you know he's hitting a lot of fly balls and it, it the, the power it just, just isn't bad. there like it was it in just looks training.
1: bad like i don't even need numbers to 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 back that yeah. up you watch his at-bats he just looks bad
2: Corey. yeah yeah I, I mean so that's and and that's what it is and so i think uh it'll be interesting when we head into this series with atlanta to see a different team Uh, not that you know Atlanta's good so I I don't mean that it should get easier but again you know you've played two teams to start this season just getting a different look might help things they've got this off day on Thursday but it's it's to me that you know there's a there's KB and Wilson, you know, Wilson's numbers are a a little weird in in some of their, there are some extremes there. But as I said, like overall, like right now his WRC plus is very good and his Woba is good. And so it's, it's fine. Uh, And I think like overall, you know, he'll sort of be himself in, in this season, which is very good. Um, And, you know, some of the guys, Chris Bryant looks good, right? Some of the guys, things look pretty normal and you just are kind of hoping that it stabilizes a bit, they start to get a little luckier, they start to barrel the ball up a little more, get hot, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's a, you know, a handful of guys where you're, you're kind of looking at it going like, you know, you might need to make some adjustments, you might need to figure out what is going on here that is leading to these numbers. Um, but it, it all, you know, sort of backs us up into that same spot where it it's a tricky, It's a tricky place right now because these these offensive numbers for the Cubs as a whole, as I read earlier, are gaudy in how bad they are. They're really bad. Like they are in the bottom, bottom, bottom of the league. And in some of these categories, like batting average and OPS, they are not even close to the next worst team. So it's just not good. And it's, again, that that constant balance that we're going to have with this team of it's early. They are still, you know, very much with 150 games left, very much in the thick of the division that they are the reigning champions of. Uh, but how do you balance that with how this team? and some of these players looked in 2020. And how do you balance that with, of course, the ever-looming possibility that Jed is intent on breaking it up, whether they turn it around or not? And I don't have the answer for that. I think we all, you know, kind of need to take the off day and hope that things get just a little bit better in this series with Atlanta that Brendan is going to take us through.
1: So they do have an off day on Thursday. They will be back at Wrigley on Friday for an afternoon game at 1.20 p.m. Central. So the Cubs have not announced their three-game probables yet, but we can assume that we'll probably see Trevor Williams and Zach Davies at some point. I imagine they're just waiting to see if, if Hendricks feels better after being... Sick for a few days. So, with that being said, we do have the Braves starters for Friday and Saturday's game. So on Friday, we have Drew Smiley on the mound for the Braves. On Saturday, that game starts at 1:20 p.m. Central. We have Waskar Yanoa, and I completely apologize for that pronunciation. I'm doing the best I can. I think I actually did a decent job with that. Just saying. Uh, on Sunday, we have Sunday night baseball. Now the Braves have not announced their starter for that game, so we have no idea who will be starting for the Braves or the Cubs, but that game does start at 6.08 p.m. Central, and that will be on ESPN. The Braves are also off to a not so good start. They're four and seven. The Cubs are five and seven. So two teams who supposedly should be in competition for their for, for the majority of the year. We hope for the Cubs. We know for sure the Braves are a contender in the in the East. Not off to a good start. So I guess you know what I'm looking for this series. Pretty pretty basic. Uh, we need to hit fastballs. That that's it. The fastball numbers across the board for almost every single batter on this team is not good. So hit your mistake pitches. Be more like Chris Bryant. Hopefully Kyle's healthy, and we're see, we're going to see him pitch this series. But that's what I got, Corey. Fastball. Hit the fastball.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, they they got a hit right, and I would prefer that they start that hitting on Friday and Saturday because they're, listen, I can't predict the future, but that, the the Sunday night broadcast on ESPN is always unwatchable, but listening to them talk about the Cubs offense as it is right now, you want to talk about unwatchable. I mean, again, I can't see the future, but I'm warning you now to mute that broadcast. Because listening to those uh you know, vaskergin and A Rod or whoever they end up having on there discuss the Cubs being in the bottom of the league in offense is not going to be
1: I'm not even gonna give it a chance. It's, it's, I mean, don't I'm give a a it a chance. That's what I'm do, saying. Yeah, don't even, turn it don't off, even it either yourself.
2: sit in silence, put on your favorite band, try to sync it up with Pat Hughes. Just don't you, you don't want to sit through that, I promise, yeah. right? Um, they got a hit. Man, you know what I mean. We can spend all this time looking at these numbers: walk rates, K rates, contact rates. Whether they're chasing out of the zone, whether they're swinging in the zone, like they they just got a hit, right? Like you're not you're not going to win many games. You know, this is another we talked about uh, that series with the Pirates over the weekend, and you know how they lost a couple games by six runs, and you know they they still have not scored that amount, right? We we talked about how they were trailing by more runs than they had scored the entire season, and, you know, we're still there, right? Like, it was one of those things where, like, that win on Tuesday and everything with Wilson kind of distracted at least me for the moment, and then, like, you know, as we were watching the game on Wednesday, the finale, it, like, kind of dawned on me. It was like, yeah, that moment was cool, but they still haven't, you know, the offense isn't any better. Um, In fact, it was worse, so they got a hit. You know, I think this pitching staff, for how it was built and who it's comprised of and, what the expectations were of it i think this pitching staff is doing all that they can and if the offense were there at all i think we'd all feel pretty decent about this team i think they'd be winning games and i think we'd feel uh, certainly as we went into the season that they can be competitive in this division which they still are because it's only been 12 games but they got a hit and there you know there's a lot to dig into each player is not the same uh, but overall You know, the unit is not performing. They are not getting it done. And it's, uh, I think, dishonest to put, you know, too much concern anywhere else right now because if they don't start hitting, none of this is going to matter. So take the off day, try to relax, uh, send whatever energy and kind of good mojo you can to the bats of this team. And hopefully they get back to Wrigley Field playing a tough Atlanta team. Jacks him up a little bit, and we can get a little more production on that offensive side. But that's what I got. If I knew how to, if I or Brendan knew how to solve these issues, uh, we'd be working with, you know, Justin Stone and uh, Anthony Iaposi and some of these other guys in the Cubs organization. So we don't have the exact answer for you. We can just uh, kind of take a look at it and tell you what's particularly concerning or not. But I don't have the magic. I don't have a switch that I can flip to turn on this offense. But it, again, I I do feel confident at the very least, it will not be as bad as as it has been. They are better than this. How soon we see it, I don't know. But if this was the group for 162 games, they will not be second to last or dead to last in a lot of these offensive categories. I believe that with my whole heart. So I think that is where we will leave you. Again, enjoy your off day. Uh, I do hope that our conversation on Sunday evening, after the Cubs finish up with the Braves, is on a lighter note. And, you know, maybe we can talk about an offensive explosion or something else than the offense struggling and updating you guys on which categories they are currently dead last in. Because that is, uh, I think we've done that, you know, for a few episodes here, and it's already very old, and I don't like doing it. So, That's where we'll leave you. Uh, Thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast and tuning in. We will talk to you guys on Sunday evening. And as always, go Cubs.
0: Ah, mm, The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy.